0: For some unexplained set of reasons, I happen to be selected to be God. Because what I am is principle. There is no sky god. I do not attain to be the creators of all your worlds, but I am the creator of this world. I want to say one thing. Thank God for Jim Jones. Thank God for Jim Jones. You will not come to him that you might have life. The scriptures are death, but the spirit of Christ, hey, it's alive. I just don't want to pain like this, but I saw him Jones. I mean, I saw him with these eyes. He just walked to the door. I am the only fully socialist. I am the only fully God. So I'm now on the scene. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to call myself. Actually, I'm quite a very humble essence of being. I, I don't like to discuss my own work, but I have to tell you that the universe would not run without me. Yeah!
1: Welcome, Welcome to World New Clash class. class. People's Temple. Episode 2. The Making of Revolutionaries.
0: Monsieur Alexander, uh, what are you? I am a violent revolutionary. What is your name? Lily Deli. Where do you live, Lily? 828 Athens Avenue. What are you? I am a violent revolutionary and I will do anything for this cause. What's your name? Glory McMichael. What are you, Glory? I am a violent revolutionary and I will do anything for this cause. What's your name? Viola Foley. What are you, Viola? A
2: violent
0: revolutionary. What's your name? Ruby
3: East. What are
2: you, Ruby? I'm a
3: violent revolutionary. What's your
0: name? Beatrice
1: Hubbard. What are you, Beatrice I, I am uh, 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 okay, uh, a revolution okay,
3: mm-hmm.
0: missionary. Okay.
3: What is your name? My name is Blanche Cooper.
0: I'm a violent... revolutionary. revolutionary. What is your name? Wesley Walker. What are you? I'm a violent violent revolutionist.
1: What is your name? My name is Marilyn Pursley.
0: I'm a violent revolutionary.
1: The members of People's Temple were not violent revolutionaries at the beginning. They were men and women who saw their church doing a lot of good things breaking down economic and racial walls, taking care of the elderly. They didn't become revolutionaries overnight. In this episode, we take a 30,000-foot view of People's Temple with expert Fielding McGee from the Jonestown Institute. We'll look at how he is involved in Jonestown and a brief sketch of the history of the movement. Obviously, you've
3: done lots and lots and lots of work for the Jonestown Institute, so um, at what point did you get involved with this project, and uh, why are you continuing this work?
2: So um, my wife, Rebecca Moore, is, um, is the sister of two, two people, two women who died in Jonestown. Um, her sisters were Carolyn Layton, um, who among a number of other things was sort of the, the longtime companion to Jim Jones down in Jonestown. Actually, she had been with him for, for about 10 years. So the last 10 years of their lives together, um, uh, Carolyn was, was kind of Jim Jones's wife really in a lot of ways. And, um, uh, Becky's other sister is a, uh, a young woman named Annie Moore and Anne has a couple of, uh, Distinguishing things, things that separate her from uh, part of the Jonestown population, in that she is the uh, she was the personal nurse to Jim Jones, and uh, she was one of the only two people in Jonestown, the other one being Jones himself, who died of a gunshot wound. Um, and so uh, I had known about Jonestown, I had known about Jim Jones, um, and of course I knew about her sisters. But uh, Becky and I got together pretty much about 20 minutes after um, her two sisters left, you know, got on a plane and and went to fly to Guyana. So I never met them. I had the opportunity to meet them in May of 1978 um, when uh, Becky's parents went down, but for a number of reasons, that trip didn't work out. So, uh, but in a way, um, Becky and I became sort of de facto members, so to speak, of People's Temple on November 19th, 1978. I mean, it was the very next day when we saw the headline that Leo Ryan had been shot in Jonestown and that he'd been investigating this religious cult called People's Temple. And really from then on, we became, uh, you know, we started our research. Part of the research was, you know, we were living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And we were both uh, trained as, uh, as journalists. And we'd also done a lot of work with government uh, agencies, you know, using the Freedom of Information Act. Plus, we were close to Dover Air Force Base, which is where the bodies were brought back from Guyana. So, um, you know, we essentially became the eyes and ears on the ground for the, uh, for the people in People's Temple in San Francisco almost immediately so that was kind of the beginning of it becky ended up writing five books kind of her grief therapy we set it aside for about 10 years and then in in 1998 we realized uh, at the 20-year coverage of jonestown that basically no one seemed to have learned anything that all the stuff that that was written on the 20th anniversary could have been written the day after jonestown So that was Mm. what, you know, they didn't, there was no humanizing of the people. There was no description of anything beyond crazy cultists. There was nothing beyond drinking the Kool-Aid. So we just decided at that point that uh, there there was time for for, uh, some people to to get together and and actually try to um, give these people an identity. And uh, Mm. you know, the uh, the website is a result of that.
3: And actually it's interesting you say that because as I look through a lot of the different comments on a lot of the different commentaries and documentaries that are available mm-hmm. out there. Um, it seems to be a prevailing view even today, 43 years later, mm-hmm. that uh, people Stempel was just a bunch of disillusioned crazies that followed some, uh, narcissist out into the jungle to, to commit suicide. Right. And, um, but I, I'm with you. Um, obviously you have a lot of work in this and, um, I really want the people there to, uh, their lives to be respected and and uh, there remain some dignity as people go forward hearing about this right so i just wanted to like maybe gain like a thirty thousand foot view from you uh, mac if you could what was people's temple at the beginning
2: so people's temple started off as a um, as a christian church jim jones was um, a minister he he preached in several denominations including the in, uh, at, at Somerset Methodist Church in uh, Indianapolis, but eventually he became uh, both the church and he became part of the Disciples of Christ, and um, uh, which is a, a Protestant denomination. Um, and even at the time of uh, Jonestown, um, it was a, uh, a a church in good standing with the Disciples of Christ, and indeed. Um, th- had been the largest financial contributor to the mothership of the disciples of Christ the previous year. So it was a a membership in good standing. Jim Jones himself went through a metamorphosis and he did take um, the the people of People's Temple with him along the way as he changed, as the church changed, as his own view of the world changed. Uh, And of course, by the time they got down to Guyana, uh, you know, what's remarkable about a religious uh, colony in South America, you know, establishing itself outside of the United States with a thousand people under the auspices of a, of Reverend Jim Jones, is that there's not a single church service. There's not a single mm-hmm. uh, sermon. There is no reference to the Bible in Jonestown itself. They left all that behind in the United States.
3: So, but that wasn't just a um, that wasn't just a hop from its beginning to Jonestown. So, what did the uh, progression look like from when it started till its, its uh, fatal end?
2: So, it started off uh, basically as a uh, as as a Christian church. It was uh, almost non denominational in some respects, but it was um, it, it was a product of its times. It was a 1950s Protestant church. Um, the major difference when it first started out was that Jim Jones wanted to have his church to be integrated. And so um, he tried to bring in black people. And the, uh, in, in the beginning, the first couple of churches that he was assigned to, um, they said black people can be here, but they had to be in the back. And Jim s- said, no, in my church, they're going to sit on the front row. And so eventually the only way he was able to do that was to, uh, to create his own church. And with, with a commitment to integration, to brotherhood, to fellowship. Um, the church started to change, though. It started to, um, it began to pick up, um, uh, to, to leave behind some of the purely Christian messages and really to start to pick up you know, it considered it itself going from Christian church, they became um, a Christian apostolic church. So they really did view themselves as, um, you know, the most important book in the Bible, as far as they were concerned that they were living, was the Acts of the Apostles. And then after a while, of course, the, the, in the apostolic tradition, you know, if you fully embrace Acts, you, there are things that the people hold in common so he st- he went from the apostolic aspects of acts in the religious sense to more of a political and social um dimension so that it would after a while he would really consider himself a christian apostolic socialist and then he started to shed a couple of the labels it, he he really didn't consider himself a christian anymore he, he he was a um, he was still a religious person, and he still used the Bible both for good and ill, but he considered himself an apostolic socialist, and that's what People's Temple was, was a church of apostolic socialism. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, it became revolutionary socialist, and then at the end, when they were down in Jonestown, they considered themselves just completely revolutionaries. So they had re- really pretty much... Um, as I say, shed any sort of religious trappings along the way. With that said, I should add that every time Jim Jones was on the road and took, uh, took the church, um, you know, took the buses for the church and did a tour around the country, they would hit cities like Houston and Atlanta and especially Philadelphia, Indianapolis, his hometown, um, Detroit. Uh, he could preach a sermon and he could preach a sermon that would just really knock the socks off of you. And he mm. had that Bible memorized. Uh, mm. And he could, he could um, a lot of times he would, um, there'd be like a little twist in the way that he would actually quote a Bible verse. Um, but you always knew when he was quoting a Bible verse because he literally had his amen chorus there sitting on the front row. And, when, and the little old ladies in the front row of his church knew the Bible just as well as he did. And whenever he says something, he'll say something completely outlandish. And you hear this little murmur on the side. This is on the audio tapes that survived from, the, from people's temple. And it takes a little work sometimes to go to a concordance, but there it is. He did find it. You know, he is, he is quoting, or at least paraphrasing, a Bible verse. And he knew his Bible, verse, uh, his Bible throughout his life. You know, his principal issue um, even probably more of a driving force in his own life, if not necessarily those of his followers, was that of the nuclear apocalypse. We all know the atomic bomb is very dangerous. Since it may be used against us, we must get ready for it, just as we are ready for many other dangers that are around us all the time. If you were not ready and did not know what to do, it could hurt you in different ways.
0: Nuclear hell that could leave only 20 million alive after 30 minutes if a bomb were to drop in the minute just this
2: minute um, uh, and this appears more and more towards the end of his life when um, you know every single uh uh newscast that he gives to his followers in Jonestown has something about the approaching inevitability of nuclear war but even back in in the 60s and stuff he was talking about um about nuclear annihilation and in fact that was one of the driving forces that took them from Indianapolis to Northern California so I I think that that's uh you know an important uh aspect to to include and of course that apocalyptic vision you know also contributes towards talking about death, which also talks, leads towards the decisions of, uh, of, of suicide and, and murder on the last day. Um, you know, what is fascinating to me, it continues to be fascinating to me about Jim Jones talking about the Bible is that he will disparage it. You've been lied to. They will not tell you the fact about the Bible. The Bible is as dangerous, dangerous
0: as arsenic unless you have a preacher that's sent. Didn't say how can you hear without a Bible. It said how can you hear without a preacher, and
2: how can he preach? He'll get up there and he'll just he'll take it. And you know there are a couple of. I mean I, I think this actually happened. I I haven't seen um, or heard a tape in which he did it, but people have said that Jim Jones took the Bible and would throw it across the room. Um, uh, I've heard him. Do, I've heard him do that verbally. I've heard him completely trash the Bible. And in fact, there is a pamphlet uh that he wrote actually it's more of a booklet. It's like a 24-page booklet called the letter of killeth in which he talks about all the errors in the bible uh all mm-hmm. the inconsistencies in the bible all the atrocities in the bible you know like uh justifying slavery and uh, but particularly the errors i mean he'll he'll take two chunks of passage and say how can these reconcile with each other so he'll he'll mm-hmm. tear apart tear apart the Bible, but then at the same time when he wants to, he will quote the Bible to um, justify the position that he has taken. So, for example, mm. uh, I, I don't have the um, the verse in front of me with the with citation, but there is the verse, ye all it are gods. What I'm doing today, he said
0: it is written, ye all are gods. Hundredfold, you know that means full God, full God. You can be fully God. Jesus said you could.
2: Said ye all are gods. I have manifested full well, God. Does Jim Jones ever used that, right? And he uh, yeah. and he talks to his people about them being gods, and also that that also that that he's part of that. And then later on, as the years go on, it it more it, it comes to be more of that he is. He is God, and mm-hmm. that he is the—that um, um, he is—there's uh, the, 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 a there's a phrase, and I'm—I um, can't think of it right offhand, but kind of follow, following along the tradition of Father Divine and a couple of the people before him, that he's kind of the manifestation of the divine body in that particular time. So he he really viewed himself—you know, each generation has a Messiah, so to speak and that he was this generation's Messiah. I happened to be selected to be God. So, in other words, he would cherry-pick throughout the Bible both to to um, show how it was the worst book that you could ever read. It was so full of errors, so fallacious, you know, and it was, oh, don't forget, it was written by a drunkard and a whoremonger and, you know, a slave master. So all those things. But at the same time, it would give him the support... To to do what he needed to do. He said, Oh, the Bible's true. Oh, they
0: put all things in there to make you afraid to doubt it. Say so if you take one jot or tittle from it, you'll lose your life. Yet it does not tell the truth, my friend. It does not tell the truth. Said Adam and Eve was the first man and the first woman. That's why we have women subjected as they are. Man was made carefully, but the woman only was a rib. And the woman started slaving and waiting upon the man immediately. She goes and gets an apple. God meets her and tells her, don't go and eat of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do the day you do, you'll die. The devil said, don't listen to that guy. Said he don't want you to eat of that tree because if you eat of that tree, your eyes will get open and you'll be like him. Well, if she hadn't eaten the knowledge of tree of good and evil, if you haven't known good, the right or wrong or what's good or what's evil you wouldn't be able to be judged you got to know it's wrong to pick apples child shouldn't be spanked if he goes out and picks an apple unless mothers told him that the apple doesn't belong to him so that was like spanking a child for eating an apple without being told it was wrong to go and pick an apple off of somebody else's apple tree She would have to eat the apple to get knowledge of right and wrong. Oh, such a stupid story. Such a stupid book.
2: Um, Mm. I think the other thing to to realize uh, about this is that, you know, he would use, he used his church as a way, really, it's, uh, I think the phrase is sheep sheep stealing. You know, he Mm -hmm. would... Um, you know, one of the reasons that the black churches in San Francisco really didn't like him very much is he kept on robbing them of their parishioners, right? And he would have people come over. He would have um, he would have faith healings, and he would have like these long sermons that would include you know, and he would tell people you have to wait for the faith healing till after you hear what it is I have to say. And at the mm-hmm. end, he would have. Faith healings and people would be cured of cancer. They'd be cured of paralysis. They would be, uh, and they would be told that the accident they were going to have in two days is not going to happen now because they've been in his church. Things like that.
0: I know you didn't come here to hear this. You came here to heal. And I caused them to spit out cancers in every service. I caused them to pass them all this week in every service. Cancers crippled too were healed yesterday. On Saturday, a woman on Friday, on Saturday night, Friday night, she was crippled. From two accidents so badly that her bones were just rickety and they were all messed together, but she danced. And people would say, "Um, you you know, people
2: would kind of scoff at it and make fun of it and sort of belittle (laughs) him." But at the same time that he was doing that, at the same time that he is conducting these faith healings at the at the front of the church, he has a table of nurses sitting at the back of the church doing blood pressure tests, doing sickle cell anemia tests, giving people medical exams to um, t- to improve their health in a way that, that the other churches weren't giving them. And this was the thing that People's Temple was able to do. This was something that People's Temple, um, you know, w- when you talk about, uh, you know, comparing himself to other churches, I mean, one of the things that he did, that the temple did, and it was genuine, was to was to say, you know, we're not waiting for the by and by. We're not waiting for the hereafter, for your lives to be better. Your lives can be better now. And if you're a member of this church, you know, you won't be in trouble with the welfare office. If your son mm-hmm. is arrested for something, he's going to have a temple lawyer standing next to him, um, you know, at, at night court. All these various things, um, you know, this is the type of thing that people's temple... Did for its membership, and it did it in in goodwill. Wow! So,
3: what kinds of people joined People's Temple? Like, was it a, a particular people group? I mean, what, what what kind of people would join up with this group?
2: So, there are, as with any church, there are a multitude of uh, motivations that take people to uh, to the group. Um, but if you're looking for sort of a prototype. Um, Remember, especially when the the, the church sort of reached its its zenith in um, memberships between about 1973 and about 1976, and these are the years when People's Temple was most active in San Francisco, particularly, but also in Los Angeles, and in both places they were in uh, the predominantly black sections of town. And... Uh, so you're looking at a um, in, in the mid 70s, for example, you are looking at a number of, of uh, especially uh, aging black women who came with their husbands from the, from the South during the great migration. After the war, they were in their 20s and early 30s. That was in the mid 40s. Here we are in the 70s. Their husbands might be dead uh, or at least retired. Um, They are living in substandard housing. They're living in the ghettos of San Francisco. And here is this church that really reaches out to them and speaks Mm -hmm. their language. It can speak in the tradition of a black church. It can, uh, it provides the services, the social services that have been promised to them by other government agencies, but have not delivered. And so Really, a lot of the a lot of the membership itself were um, uh, it was about 90 percent black uh, in those years in San Francisco. And as I say, if you're looking for sort of the prototype um, uh, member, you'd be looking at like a 55 year old black woman from Mississippi.
3: Okay, and the main reason for that uh, was simply because of what was offered through people's temple when it got there correct
2: correct and but but by the same token then you also have the people in people's temple usually younger uh more uh more of a um, a tilt towards being white um mm-hmm. who were like young idealists who were there to help these people uh th- okay. there was um in other words it wasn't 90 percent black in in terms of like the the support structure or the um uh or or the the leadership it definitely wasn't 90% black in terms of the leadership, but a lot of people who, you know, who um, came in, uh, they were veterans of the sixties, so to speak. And they came in to speak to, they came in to help people who weren't as advantaged van- as, as advantaged as as they were. And, um, and they provided the, the services themselves. And that would include my, um, you know, my two sisters-in-law, um, you know Carolyn was a was a history teacher um, she um, you know she, she taught history she taught she, she taught in the public schools uh, in Northern California uh, by the time she got down to San Francisco she was really working pretty much full time with the temple um, but my younger sister-in-law uh, joined and became a nurse and was a nurse to you know all the people of, of people's temple and in, in uh um, in San Francisco, and there, you know, other people that we know who went down there, those who survived and those who didn't, were like, you know, they had worked in the welfare offices themselves. They had, uh, they had been, um, they had been attracted to Jim Jones's message and realized that they could be the ones to provide services um, that their other institutions could not. In in your
3: evaluation, your opinion, I mean, you've handled these documents and recordings probably more than anyone else. Uh, having an overall view that, you know, a perspective you have that many others don't, what would prevent this from happening again? Nothing. What would prevent this from happening again? Nothing. What would prevent this from happening again?
2: Nothing. I mean, I think that that uh, anytime you have a... Um, situation in which people turn over their authority to a leader without questioning that leader, uh, that whatever that leader says is accurate, um, that, they're, that, that they might have some trepidations but they swallow them, uh, that they see what everybody else around them is doing. Um, you are essentially setting, setting yourselves up for another job.
1: On behalf of Christian Life Church, I'd like to give a special thanks to Fielding McGee, who has been a great resource. I also want to thank the Jonestown Institute for providing all of the audio clips that we have been able to look at together. To get more content like this, visit us on the web at clcwaverly.com. That's c l c w a v e r l dot Tune in next week for episode three of Worldview Clash Class, People's Temple, The View from The Pew with former member Hugh Fortson.
3: Welcome to World New Clash Class.
0: I have seen, their ear hath heard, their heart has been stirred. They have seen the emanation of the hundredfold God manifesting through this temple, and it triggers a faith in them, and it quickens their spirit, and it causes their mortal bodies to put on immortality.